This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson. It's Civilized Barking. It's back from vacation, and maybe we're almost back to football. I'm Zach Jackson. He's Jason Lloyd. It is about a week from the start of training camp. It's two weeks exactly from what's supposed to be the full start of training camp. And we don't have any answers, Jason. Um, We're a day away from the owners getting together. um, And it just seems to me like in addition to the complications, which we've been talking about for months of getting 250 people in and having 90 players, um, you know, tested and feeling safe and under certain protocols, uh, it feels like it's headed for where baseball was, where it's time to start fighting about the money and fighting about details. And so, uh, we will see uh, what happens, um, but in the meantime, our answer is kind of um, we don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see if this gets off the ground or not. I'm optimistic, maybe more than most, that it will. I know a lot of people are poo-pooing the idea that this is going to work. Uh, it's fascinating to me just the difference that the sports are taking. You know, with obviously with NBA going with the full complete bubble route, baseball and football saying nah. We're, we're, we're going to chance it. We're, we're going to just go about life as normal. Uh, that, I think, could bring it down more than the sport, just the fact that these guys are still out living normal lives and, uh, you know, possibility for infection that way. But I'm still optimistic that we're at least going to get this thing off the ground. Whether or not we get all the way through the season, that's where I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm a little skeptical um, mixed with some optimism, you know, I think once they get started, I, I think getting started will be the harder part. So we kind of differ there. Okay. But just, you know, over the last week or so, Jason, just reaching out to people like, what are you hearing? What do you think? What's going on? You know, basically one said, you know, there's going to be some hurdles. There's probably going to be a delay, but I think we'll be in camp, you know, second week of August or so. And then another person passed along that, inside their building it was like no what are we even doing here like this is going to be a long long time so it's you know i think it kind of depends on where you are who you talk to and then you know jc treader being the president of the players association um makes this you know closer for the browns even though he does represent all 32 teams i think we've probably followed it a little closer um in that regard and he has been very clear that until certain things are met in terms of the players feeling safe. Um, they're not even going to think about reporting. And then that discussion, <clears throat> even though they are tied together, is separate from the discussion of, okay, how does this affect the cap? If we have to play the season or most of the season in front of empty stadiums, um, you know, are the players going to take a cut? Is all guaranteed money going to be paid? And then how much does the cap go down in, in following years? And I think the cap can be tackled as you go. But guys aren't showing up until the guaranteed money resolve issue is resolved. We we all know that. Why why is it even? Why are they messing around with with preseason? Why is that even still a debate? Why would you waste time on games that don't matter, given the circumstances? Yeah, that that is a hell of a good question that I don't have the answer to. Um, this is kind of common sense. I, Eliminate preseason and let's go. Like time very well. Yeah. Well, see, but even then, Jason. It, I can't argue that, but I could counter that by saying, okay, so you get in. So, like, this is unprecedented. Forget the Browns losing all the time for their schemes and their team bonding and all of this stuff. Like, 
just the normal conditioning, the normal ramping your body up for here. Like normally you report practice starts on a Thursday or a Friday. There's a two or three day acclimation period and then you go first day, full pads. You know, last year they went five or six days in a row, right? Right. Full pads, two and a half hours. This year with none of that and then with the Browns, basically starting from scratch on meeting each other. None of the rookies have ever even been in the building. A lot of the players have not met Kevin Stefanski face-to-face or Joe Woods or anyone, their position coaches in some cases, right? So what do you do for two weeks? Do you walk, basically have a conditioning session followed by a 45-minute walkthrough? When does that turn into real football? And that's all stuff that in this league is collectively bargained, and so it needs to be resolved because this is unprecedented. So the preseason is part of that. I agree with you. Just scrap it and go. But what is the schedule, the itinerary, and the protocols for turning and doing this? The NFL has come out with all of these things about meetings can be done virtually and players' families can be tested and six feet apart in the locker room, which is the primary, at least public, reason why the Steelers immediately moved their camp to their stadium because they have access to a second and third locker room there. But in football, guys are falling on each other and slobbering on each other every single play. So the meeting at 7 o'clock at night where they go over the film is completely different than the practice where it's happening for two hours plus at a time every single day. I want to get to the football talk. I'm sure people are sick of this, but I am curious your thoughts on the, the shield that Oakley came up with. How feasible do you think this is to get done? And do you think guys will wear them? Yeah, I, well, I think if it if it passes all the tests, I think guys will be mandated to wear them. Um, you know, the, this is where the NFL has the the lead, takes the lead, and has the advantage on the lower levels because they have all the money, all the technology, right? They they can go through and and get this approved or get it tweaked, right? Um, that part is certainly interesting. Now, to me, it still does not affect the hand to hand combat that goes on in football. Um, you know, if people who are much smarter than you and I say um, that that makes the game X amount of time safer, then I believe the NFL will sign off on that in a minute. Um, I'm not sure, you know, the status of that. I just know that at a time when guys are, you know, high-level employees and coaches would be back in the building and players would be just a few days away. And shoot, even before form- formal reporting date, players are usually back in town stopping by you know, getting a workout in, getting getting with the trainers and stuff like that. Um, you know, they're still not allowed in facilities by rules and are not going to report until all of these things are resolved. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's part of it. But I think that's that's kind of way way down the road because I know at first there's not going to be contact practices. I mean, they're just trying to get guys in and then start to go through the motions. All right, let's get this to football. Uh, what's your number one thing to watch? <laughs> what little we're going to get to watch. What's your number one thing to watch, your number one concern going into camp? Well, just just the lost time. You know, you, you just – they probably needed to move on, right? They definitely needed to move on from – Oh, God, Kitchens. yes. <laughs> but you don't get any better every time you do this, and they do it every damn year. Right, And so when you lose the whole offseason, at least the real part of it, the interaction part of it, um, the Browns are way behind. You know, Can we exactly quantify it? No. Uh, can it be made up for? Absolutely. But, I mean, they are going to be in the very 
elementary orientation stage of everything. I mean, rookies, even ones that played at Alabama and played at LSU and played at Ohio State, when they come in, it is such an eye-opening experience just to get there and the amount of information they're hit with, the amount of film study, the schemes, the playbook, dealing with everything that's changing in their life with having money, with having to move across the country, with getting settled in and then trying to make the team. And none of those guys have even taken the first steps in that. I mean, they've sat in some virtual Zoom meetings, which what can you really get out of that? I don't know. Right. So that, that to me at first is just the Browns trying to get on the same page where Kevin Stefanski has never coached a practice, where Joe Woods has never coached a practice. I mean, they bring back the running backs coach and both special teams coaches. So a lot of the front office is intact and Andrew Barry was only gone for 11 months. The core of the team um, is, is strong. It's as solid as it's been for a long time. And you have a lot of guys coming back and guys you added uh, on the first day for big money, Hooper, Conklin, Keenum, those guys have been in many camps. They've been in big games. They've seen a lot in this league. But as far as being together and the absolute baseline installation and trying to get chemistry and timing and, and take the coaching and know who goes here and what, I mean, they, they are starting from scratch, and that's going to be a hard thing to overcome. I mean, that's where the loss of the preseason games, right, and, and um, the joint practices where – Kevin Stefanski's thinking was, we play against a 4-3 base defense every day in practice. We're going to go do it against a 3-4 team. Right? We're going to go really push these guys for a couple days and then, then let the backups play in the preseason so we can find out more about them. Um, and all of that is gone. So, so that, to me, is a big concern, especially when you open where you open, right, against who you uh, play in week one. So we'll see. Um, in week two and three, it's much more winnable. But, but the Browns and other teams um, that are that are starting anew, to me, are just at a tremendous disadvantage once we get uh, ramped back up. Uh, a few days ago, uh, I don't know if our subscribers saw it or not. Ben Standing, uh, our colleague in Washington, did a agent poll, and I really enjoyed it. It was an anonymous agent poll on just the state of the league, and it was funny because Andrew Barry got high marks. And, and from a few different agents uh, in terms of Browns are on the right track. Browns had a great off season, uh, yada, yada, yada. And yet at the same time, the Browns were dinged for the contract to Hooper and dinged for the contract uh, the, to, uh, I just lost his name, the quarterback. Case Keenum. Case Keenum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was actually a great point because the, the agent was like, look at what Cam Newton got and then look at what Case Keenum got. Right. Are you serious right now? Yeah. So in, in hindsight, do you think, first of all, I was encouraged by how really, for the most part, the Browns were, were well praised in this, but the Keenum thing does stand out. In hindsight now, do you think they regret the contract or do you think they're okay with it? No, I, I think that's your investment in Baker Mayfield. I mean, the whole goal here is for Baker Mayfield to play well and be the guy. So you don't have to be one of those six, eight teams every year that's fishing in the recycled quarterback market, right? Or, or, uh, putting all your chips in a, another 21-year-old unproven quarterback. Like the Browns had the number one pick two years in a row. They finally got around to picking a quarterback. And he was really good when he played in, as a rookie year, and he was really awful for most of last year, right? So that's scary as hell. Um, you know, they made that commitment because Case Keenum had the relationship with the head coach um, because they feel like that, that Baker needed better guidance every hour of, of every football day. 
uh, and they did that. I, I would say that history shows, and this is not this is not either a prediction or a personal attack on Jack Conklin or Austin Hooper, but history says one of those guys is going to completely bust. Right? What what team hands out that kind of money in free agency and it works over the long haul in the NFL? It just it just doesn't. The track record says it doesn't. But honestly, of those moves they made from noon to six on that first day of free agency, way back when it feels like seven damn years ago. Yeah. <laughs> instead of three four months, um, the the Case Keenum one is the one I'm least concerned about at this point. Yes, you're you're committing a lot of money to a backup quarterback who you hope won't play. But in terms of stabilizing things and, and protecting your number one investment, uh, I don't have a problem with that at all. We've got to get to the Miles Garrett extension, but you said something that triggered a thought and it's a sports radio question, but I've been doing enough sports talk radio now <laughs> that I, I have to ask. So if, if Conklin or Hooper one is going to bust and I, I agree, which one is more vital to the Browns and which one can they afford to bust? Oh, I think Conklin is more vital because you made the consciousness like you needed two offensive tackles, right? And that that was a part of making things go not only this year where on paper you feel like you have a loaded offense, but in general to help that quarterback and, and to get where you want to get in the division. And you made the conscious decision to go out and spend, you know, twenty million for this year on a right tackle. And then part of that was you made the conscious decision that you're going to start a twenty one year old left tackle that's never played left tackle before and now it's had no spring practices so to me Conklin has to play at a super high level he has to immediately fit he has to help tutor the rookie and he has to be a guy on that offense who right away is like I fit here I like here the Brown I want them to run behind me my timing is great um all of this stuff there's a lot on him um you know Hooper's gonna catch passes he caught a lot in Atlanta this is probably a little bit of a new system and a new ask for him but, I, you know, it, what he's being paid to do, which is move the chains and create some matchup issues to allow them to throw quick passes, um, you know, I think a lot of that will translate. But I just think Jack Conklin has to be a top-tier right tackle for this offense to really find the groove that it, it wants to find. And, and a lot of us think it's capable of finding. I mean, when you look at the Browns, Jason, right now on paper, you would think the offense should be good and the defense I just don't know about. So – a yeah. lot changes over the course of an NFL season. A lot of predictions are wrong, and, and very little is certain. But this is a team that's supposed to be strong offensively. And, man, defensively, the, the range of outcomes is, is pretty wide. Hey, guys, let's talk about Hawthorne Cologne. Um, first of all, if you're still wearing that polo blue from your high school girlfriend, well, she dumped you a long time ago. And if you're wearing Old Spice, well, girls think you smell like their dad. Hawthorne Cologne makes the perfect gift. Getting it is easy. Most importantly, it smells really good. And smelling good is important. So um, jump on hawthorne.co. That's hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase of Hawthorne Cologne. That's hawthorne.co. Use my promo code ATHLETIC for 10% off. You'll smell better. You'll notice the results. That's hawthorne.co. Well, obviously, we got to get to Miles Garrett. We're going to get him here shortly. Browns are going to make him available. We're recording this on what is today? Thursday? Thursday morning. Yeah, I ask Thursday. myself all the time. So, no harm, no foul. Oh, my God. It's Groundhog Day, <laughs> man. I never know what day it is. Uh, I, I thought it was why. And I think we've discussed this in, in previous pods that the, the incident against the Steelers. The, I thought the Browns were wise to act now and sign him now coming off of that. 
I, I mean, first of all, it's it's precedent, right? We talked about it before about how few draft picks get second contracts from the Browns. So that in and of itself is amazing that they nailed it and they got a guy worthy of an extension. And secondly, do you why do you think do you think the incident had anything to do with Miles taking it now and how much more could he have gotten had he waited until next year? I, I think zero, honestly. Really? Um, okay. Yeah, well look he was going to get more than Khalil Mack because that's how these contracts go. His resume is not Khalil Mack's. It's not right. close to Aaron Donald's, right? They play different right. positions. But he, he and Khalil Mack are the same. You know, they're signing this this mega deal at the same exact stage of their career. The Raiders couldn't afford the guaranteed money, so they shipped Mack off, and the Bears were glad to give up those resources and go do it. But I just think as soon as Miles was fully reinstated that – there was no hesitation from the Browns and it was just a matter of, okay, let's, let's go through this and we'll do this either before the season or early in the season. Because other than that, he's been an exemplary citizen other than the couple of minor things as a rookie, he's been healthy. He's once in a lifetime freak. He's getting better and you need him on this defense, right? He can change games. He can wreck games. You need him to do that. There's always risk in this. There's always uncertainty, but I just think when you look at the gifts the age, the ascension. I mean, he averaged – he had 10, 10 sacks in 10 games last year, right? Yeah. So anybody can average that out. We know what the defense was without him, which probably helped his leverage. Um, you know, I worry about Miles being officiated a different way and about opposing offensive linemen going for his knee after that. But I don't think the Browns had anything other than the regular minor worries you'd have about anything. And, and to me – this whole thing was kind of anticlimactic because it's just, it, it was always out there. They knew him, they trusted him. And I just think it's smart to do it because it sets you, you have it done, you have it out of the way and you know what it's going to be as you go forward and you're waiting. Uh, we don't know how they're going to handle the Nick Chubb situation. We certainly don't know what's even going to happen with Baker and with Denzel Ward, right? So get this done, know what's on the books know that he's going to be there. And if he becomes that game-changing, dominating, division-changing type of player, you know you got him, and then you take the other ones as they come. I'm tired of talking about Baker, and is Baker going to be better than he was last year? And we've we've just beaten that to death over and over and over again. I did want to ask you about Njoku because I believe the trade request came out since Mm -hmm. our last pod. And it was striking to me that who he went and got as his agent, he went and got Drew Rosenhaus, who's exactly the guy that got uh, the trade done last year. And do you think Nujoku will be here? Um, I, when was when was Duke traded? Was it August? I think it was early August. Yeah, right? it was about a couple of weeks into camp. Yes. So let's let's just pretend that it's a perfect world. This thing gets off the ground. Uh, we get into training camp it kind of t- it makes sense to me that if and when he gets dealt I, I should say if it'll be around that same time as as teams sort of see what they have and what they need as injuries pile up I think we're going to see a lot of soft tissue injuries just because of the way this thing is rushed is the joke on this team when do you think he gets traded if he gets traded he is absolutely not getting traded right now he is not um and this is weird because, yes, the Browns replaced him when they went and got Austin Hooper. And he, he was absolutely awful last year, and it was an old coaching staff, and the whole thing was a mess. But 
amid all this, amid replacing him, they they picked up his fifth year option. They guaranteed him six million dollars for next year. Uh, they brought in a head coach who ran more multiple tight end sets than any other player. Um, you know, two of the three guys that sit at the top of the room were here when he was drafted, and he was always a long term project. Now, I don't think he'll ever be anything resembling a natural football player because he's just not. And they made that pick one pick ahead of where the Steelers took T.J. Watt. It's an all-time, all-time awful pick. But he's athletic. He's a big target. It's, a, it's not a premium position, but it's a position where there aren't enough guys who can do rare things. And if the Browns can get him motivated, right, and focused, and on the improve, they can make something out of him. And they already made that investment. So I just can't see, Jason, them turning around and trading him for what it would be, which is pennies on the dollar, because everybody knows what happened last year, right? Everybody knows he's completely inconsistent and that he looks great running out of the tunnel, and you never know what's going to happen when he comes out of his stance during a game. So I, I, he will be here. Do I think that you're right in terms of a scenario could develop where a team needs something or the Browns finally say, okay, we, we need to address a specific thing on defense and we swap him out. But I know that the trade, the trade demand brought inquiries and the Browns asking price, no one would pay right now. And I also don't think that it would be either a good business for them to just give in to Drew Rosenhaus's demand or B for them to say, okay, we just committed to this guy and tried to boost him up, tried to publicly motivate him. And then threw $6.3 million in front of him for 2021. And today we trade him for a fifth round pick. Now yeah. I, that, that just, that would be bad business on multiple fronts. And I'm, I'm great with that. Uh, I, I said when, after the free agent period and everything, I don't see the need to rush in and trade him, but I do wonder about Rosenhaus's presence because when Duke Johnson hired him last year, I joked that Duke fired his crowbar and hired a jackhammer to get him out of Cleveland. And, and Rosenhaus is absolutely one of those mega power agents in the NFL. What, and I know you got to wrap it and get us out of here after this, but just quickly and curiously, what can, what effect can a, can a big powerful agent have on trade discussions? Well, I think he can have a certain effect, but I think last year it just went sour with Duke Johnson, right? Like, the, the regime that traded him wasn't the one that picked him. That regime brought in their own guy in Kareem Hunt. There was already an established star at the head of the room in Nick Chubb. I mean, it, it was clear where, where that was headed. And, you know, guy, per, strong personalities, as we saw last year with this team, they don't always mesh. Uh, but I think after Baker had the public words with Duke, and I think once Kareem Hunt got healthy – and the other thing is, I just think Bill O'Brien offering a three. John Dorsey had to make that trade. That, right. that is one yes. of John Dorsey's best moves, right? Yes. So, so I, I really, you're always going to do that, right? And the Browns hope that they're entering a situation in which they have good players and guys are aware of who's getting paid what and guys want theirs because that means you finally have some good players. But I really don't think that a super agent either does or can be allowed to wield any more than a tiny amount of power in your building. Each situation is different. Each player is different and teams have to handle that. I, I just, you know, the Browns might face if the cap, if the cap goes way down and Baker and Denzel have great years, right? The Browns are going to face some interesting discussions with some higher paid players, but I don't think 
that Drew Rosenhaus is going to show up at camp, or he's not allowed to show up at camp, show up on Andrew Barry's FaceTime 10 times in a day and muscle him around. I think Njoku's here until the Browns get something for him, and what that ever is, I don't know. All right, Zach, wrap us up and get us out of here. All right, so guys, keep reading, um, keep listening. We're jumping on the Miles Zoom. We're glad this happened. Uh, we kind of have two plans here for coverage on the athletic, and that's you know getting you ready for camp with with some standard things and a and a couple things we've been sitting on, or that's writing about the delay and what it means and and how these this thing goes. So um, we still have a lot of uncertainties on our own about how this is going to go. You know when camp opens, what we're going to have access to, are we going to be able to be there every day, things like that. But we're going to have you covered. Um, my formal vacation is over. Like I said, the Browns doing this is a sign that they're back to business, and we're all just kind of waiting. So stay tuned as we track you know, what the owners come out and say, what J.C. Treader and the player side has to say. And uh, we look forward to hopefully being in Berea uh, much sooner than later. So thank you for listening. Thank you for reading. We will talk to you soon on Civilized Barking. Thank you.